I'm here uh, about 10 miles outside Jerusalem, just a couple of miles really from Bethlehem, the birthplace of Jesus. And this is the place where I am that Herod the Great built his palace known as the Herodian. Uh, let me tell you about Herod the Great. He was, uh, he was born a civilian, but his father was a high-ranking Roman official. And eventually, Herod steps into the political realm, kind of following in his father's footsteps, but he works his way all the way up the ranks and eventually was appointed by the Romans to be king of Judea. His title, King of the Jews. Now, he was an impressive man, uh, self-made, and, and he, he wanted a big life, he wanted power and, and the architecture uh, to really to put it all on display. In fact, his buildings were known the world over. He built grand buildings like the Temple Mount in Jerusalem, the Masada, and the place where I'm standing, the Herodian. It's in ancient ruins today, you can kind of see it behind me, but, but Herod built a magnificent palace for himself right here. He, he told engineers of that time that he wanted to build on top of this specific mountain, but he also wanted a view of Jerusalem. Now, the problem is there was no way to view Jerusalem and be on this specific plot of land. So what did Herod do? He commanded that they literally move a mountain and make this mountain twice as big. And so that's what they did. They moved dirt and rocks and sand and they made this huge mountain that I'm standing on. And they built the palace right on top where Herod could have his 360 degree view of this vast kingdom. <laughs> Herod was known for his ambition, for his self-made success, and <laughs> not being ashamed to flex his power so that everybody knew how glorious he was. However, as is the case many times for people putting on grand displays on the outside, Herod was deeply troubled on the inside. Insecure, paranoid, always watching for someone who was gonna be a threat to his kingdom, his power, his position. I mean, this guy was just never secure. In fact, his insecurity uh, leaked into his own family. He, he had one of his wives killed, thinking that she was plotting against him. Same thing with two of his sons. He had two of his sons strangled, one son beheaded. He built the Masada. The Masada fortress was a getaway in case of a revolt, and it included a lifetime supply of food just in case. He was constantly worried that someone was going to threaten his power. The historian Josephus, he wrote that when Herod was dying of a painful illness, that he was so concerned that no one would mourn his death that he commanded a large group of, of popular men of, or of honorable men to come to Jericho and, and ordered that they be killed when he died so that mourners would actually show up. He was so afraid that no one would show up to his funeral because he was, he was so unpopular that, that he ordered these other people to be there so that someone would show up and mourn his funeral. You know, at Christmas, we don't think about all of that with Herod, but that character trait, his insecurity, shows up in the Christmas story as well. You know, over in Matthew 2, uh, he's so threatened 
by the birth of a baby known as the King of the Jews, that he commands all the boys under the age of two to be slaughtered. No one was to threaten Herod's kingdom that he had spent his lifetime building for himself. No one. And so it's really kind of jarring to look at the life of this, this larger-than-life narcissist tyrant of a king and then that little baby, Jesus, that ushers in a new kingdom. Of course, Jesus, 28 years later, that, that baby will grow up to, to be a man who built things too. Jesus was a carpenter by trade. But as he steps into public ministry, Jesus would stand near this place and he'd say, you know, by faith, you can move a mountain as well. <laughs> I can just imagine him pointing over to the Herodians saying, no doubt this is exceptional, what Herod did, but with God in charge, you can do things even greater than this. See, Jesus wasn't impressed by Herod. Jesus also said things like, if you hear my words and apply them to your life, you're gonna build your life on solid rock, not sand. And you know, when he said that, Jesus very well may have been referring not only to the sandy foundation this palace was built on, but maybe Herod's personal life as well. I mean, they both eventually crumbled, leaving only ancient ruins behind. In contrast, Jesus was secure. He knew his identity. He was the son of God and he lived in the security of God's love for him. Jesus was a king, but not like Herod was a king. Jesus was a king that aimed at serving people, not slaughtering them, not exploiting them for his own glory and fame. Jesus wasn't a king that needed to build a fortress to protect his life from people. He was a king who willingly laid down his life for all people. Jesus didn't need to build palaces and fortresses. He came to build the kingdom of heaven on earth through the transformation and redemption of human hearts. And so, as I stand up here on this man-made mountain, you know, it's hard not to be impressed with the achievement, admittedly. But it's also making me ask the questions. I've been thinking through Herod's life. It's making me ask a couple of questions that I would invite you to ask along with me. What foundation should we be building our life upon? What are the things that are rock in our life? And what are the things that are sand? And then whose kingdom should we really be pursuing anyway? Whose fame, whose glory, whose kingdom? Herod was a bad man. I mean, a really bad man. In some ways, you might say that Herod was the villain of the Christmas story which kind of got me thinking a little bit about villains. So for the sake of a little bit of fun, I'm gonna give you a picture of a cartoon villain and I want you to name this nemesis for me. Uh, so if you're watching with others, you can just shout out the answer. If you'd like to, you can drop your answer in the chat. Okay, we ready? 
Maybe the first one we should all know, this is Superman. Uh, Superman's uh, arch nemesis is who? Lex Luthor. I assume that a lot of us probably knew that one. Uh, maybe this is another one that's somewhat familiar. How many of you have seen the, the movie The Lion King? Uh, do you remember the, the villain in The Lion King? That's Scar. Again, probably a lot of us knew that. Now, this one may be not as well known, but this is one of my personal favorites. How many of you wa ever watched the, the cartoon Phineas and Ferb? I watched this religiously with my kids when they were growing up, and the, the villain in Phineas and Ferb is my all-time favorite. Anybody know his name? Dr. Doofenshmirtz, uh, or Heinz Doofenshmirtz. Uh, and so he is by far the funniest villain of any cartoon that I can think of. And, and so you can say that, that Herod was the villain of the original Christmas story. But there was also a hero that was born to the world some 2,000 years ago in this small town just outside of Jerusalem. I mean, Matthew reminds us of this incredible news. And Matthew says that, that she will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus, which coincidentally means the Lord saves because he will save his people from their sins. This hero was, was not just any baby. He would also be a king. And so the question becomes, who is this king? I find it very ironic that, that Herod and Jesus, they share the same title. As Dave mentioned earlier, Herod was appointed by Rome to be the king over Judea. His official title? He was king of the Jews. But the Jewish people had known for centuries that God had promised another king. He'd be the Messiah, the anointed one. And, and Jesus was born into a manger some 2,000 years ago as the long-awaited king of the Jews. But though Herod and Jesus shared the same title, I mean, they couldn't have been more different. I mean, Herod sat in this posh palace on this fancy throne while Jesus was born in a stinky barn with cattle and sheep as the first witnesses. Herod was this picture of success in worldly terms. He had position, status, incredible wealth. And in contrast, Jesus was born into a peasant family with no social status at all. Herod was this like power-hungry, prideful, self-centered leader while Jesus stepped off his heavenly throne and was marked by humility, love, and was this incredible servant to others. Herod was focused exclusively on what was temporary in this world, while Jesus was coming to redeem all things for eternity. I mean, here is a king of the Jews and the king of the Jews. The two couldn't have been more different. But this hero, the one that we continue to celebrate his birth at Christmas every single year with, was not just the king of Jews in ancient history. He came to be the king over your life and the king over mine as well. The question becomes, how will we respond to this king? I wanna take us back to Matthew chapter two and look really closely at the different responses that each person has in that original Christmas story. I mean, each had a really clear understanding of who Jesus was, but the response to him was just radically different. I mean, here's what Matthew records. Here, here's what he says about it. About that time, some wise men from the Eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem, asking, where is this newborn King of the Jews? We saw a star as it rose and we've come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this as was everyone in Jerusalem. 
He called a meeting of the leading priests and the teachers of the religious law and asked, where is this Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem, in Judea, they said. For this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah. For a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. It's a powerful passage. I mean, think about it for just a moment. The king has just been born, and there are very different reactions to the people who first heard about it. I mean, Herod, you have the religious leaders, and you also have the wise men. Now, now, let's look at Herod first. Herod, I mean, he was threatened. Now, we know from history that Herod was this wicked and, and incredibly violent ruler. If he ever felt threatened, it often resulted in somebody losing their life. He even took the lives of his own family members. And look at his reaction to finding out about this new king that was born. Matthew tells us that he was deeply disturbed. And his response, he ended up ordering that his armies take the lives of every child under the age of two in the entire region. I, mean, I can't even imagine what that would have been like. I mean, Herod, Herod was so threatened by what Jesus was bringing into this world. I mean, Jesus was a threat to Herod's power, his control, his his standing in the eyes of people. Uh, Jesus was perceived to be a threat to Herod's occupation, to his agenda, to his rule and to his reign. Herod was willing to sacrifice everybody else to preserve himself as king. I mean, this truth just causes me to pause and take a deep look in my own life because I can give Herod a really hard time, but the question for me is, is there a part of Herod's character that's living in me? I mean, the truth is that, that Jesus didn't come into this world to take sides. He came into this world to take over. So the question is, am I willing to surrender everything to him? Am I willing to give up my pride? Am I, am I willing to step out of toxic relationships? Am I willing to live a, in a selfless manner? Am I willing to put others first? Am I, am I willing to, to go wherever God leads? Am I willing to be generous with whatever needs that God brings in front of me? Or do I find myself willing to, to sacrifice others to preserve myself? I mean, do I use my words to tear others down? Do I, do I use my power and authority, whatever amount that I have, to push others aside to make myself look better? I mean, do I take advantage of others in order to get myself ahead? Do I put myself in front of others so that I can come out on top? I mean, those are the Herod-like things that sometimes we find ourselves doing. And make no mistake about it. Jesus is a threat to a me-centered life. And so when you look at Herod, we can see really clearly Herod was threatened. What about the religious leaders? I'd say for the religious leaders, they were apathetic. Remember that, that Herod summons the religious leaders to ask where this king was going to be born. And notice, they didn't even have to look it up. They, they knew the prophecy incredibly well. They said, he's to be born in Bethlehem. But here's the part that I find most ironic. The religious leaders, they knew the scripture. They know of the coming king. They, they knew that, that he was going to be born. They knew where he was going to be born. They had all the information. And what did they do with it? Absolutely nothing. The long-awaited Messiah was here. The, the one that had been predicted for thousands of years had come, but the Jewish religious, religious leaders, they don't go to Bethlehem. What? 
I mean, their king is born. They find out that he's here and they don't go anywhere. I I think it's crazy. But I also think there's a caution in here for you and me. You see, because I think it's possible that the things of God grow so familiar to us over time that they cease to inspire awe in our hearts any longer. And so even when God himself shows up, we hardly even notice. I mean, I think there's a difference between the written word, which is the Bible, and the living word, which is Jesus himself. And if the written word doesn't lead you to the living word, I'd say it's an incomplete word. Maybe another way to say it would be this. If you know all the things about the Bible, but you don't go meet the Savior, you've missed Christmas. I mean, it's hard to fully grasp that the people of God missed God when God showed up. But this danger is, it's very real for us. I mean, the longer that we find ourselves on this faith journey, it it can grow all too familiar, all too comfortable. It can become a little, I don't know, like a little ho-hum. So I got to ask myself the question, is there a little spirit of apathy in me? Have I lost sight of, of God's radical love for me? Has the wonder of God become mundane to me? Do I know all the information but, but feel distant in my own heart? I would encourage you, never lose sight of the awe and wonder of the things of God. I mean, never lose sight of God's radical love for you. Never lose sight of God's inconceivable sacrifice for you. Never lose sight of God's amazing plan for your life. May you and I, may may we never grow so familiar with the information, the information about God, that we actually miss God when God's at work all around us. I mean, if you look at that original Christmas story, Herod, his response is he was threatened. The religious leaders, they were pretty apathetic. But I love the response of the wise men. I'd say it this way, the wise men, they were thrilled I mean, look what, look what Matthew says about them. It says, The wise men went their way, and the star that they had seen in the east, it guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them, and it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they, they were filled with joy, and they entered the house, and they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chests, And they gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And so here we have it. The wise men, they finally make it to Bethlehem. And again, notice the details. When they arrive, they see Mary, Joseph, and Jesus in a house, not in a stable. And notice at this moment, Jesus is called a child and not a baby. So most would assume when the wise men finally rolled up to Bethlehem, Jesus is now a toddler and not a baby. And in my opinion, it actually makes the story even more remarkable. They come bringing these interesting gifts for a toddler. I mean, if you and I were to bring a a toddler a gift, we might bring a, I don't know, we might bring a train or a doll. We might bring a set of Legos or a bike with training wheels but not the wise men. They brought gold, frankincense, and myrrh. I mean, these gifts are not only interesting, I think they're quite profound. I would argue that their gifts were not meant to impress him, their gifts were meant to honor him. In the ancient world, gold was a gift 
for a king. Frankincense or incense, it was burned in a ceremonial worship of God. And myrrh? Well, myrrh was used as a perfume. It was, it was used to make dead bodies smell better upon the burial. And so if you put them all together, do you see the message? The wise men recognized that Jesus was a God king that was born to ultimately die. Their gift was not to impress him. Their gift was to honor him. What about you? As you journey through this Christmas, how will you respond to Jesus? Are you threatened by him? Are you apathetic toward him? Or are you thrilled about the arrival of this Christ child? I mean, your response to this king makes an eternal difference in your life. How will you respond this Christmas? Are you willing to lay your life down to follow him? I mean, there were two kings in that original Christmas story, but make no mistake about it. There's only one true king. And that king was was not only the king of the Jews, but he's also the king of all kings, and he can be the king of your life and mine as well. I mean, scripture goes on and on and on about this king. I mean, Jesus is known by so many names throughout the Bible. Here's, Here's a few things that scripture says about him says that he's the Messiah, the Redeemer. He's the wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. He's the holy one, the savior of all, the good shepherd, the mediator, the advocate. He's the way, the truth, and the life. He's the beginning and the end. He's the first and the last. He's the alpha and the omega. He's the king over all the rulers of earth. And you got it. That means he was Herod's king. And most importantly, My favorite name that he's called, he's called at Christmas, he's called Emmanuel because he's God with us. He's not just any king. Christmas reminds us of a loving God who came to be with us. This means anytime you feel alone, my friends, you're not alone. Anytime you feel abandoned, I want you to know that God has not abandoned you. Anytime you feel unseen, God sees you. When it feels like nobody's listening, I promise you, he's listening. When it feels like no one cares, the truth is he cares for you. When it feels like no one knows what you're going through, Jesus knows every single detail of your situation. When you feel like you you don't have a friend in the world, Jesus calls you friend. When you feel like nobody's looking out for you, he calls you his child. God came near in Jesus. He's not just the king of the Jews. He became the king of your heart and life and my heart and life just as well. He can be our authority, the one who calls the shots in our lives. This Christmas, my challenge and encouragement to you, receive him as your king. Let's pray together. Father God, we're so grateful that you sent Jesus into the world. And Father, we recognize that he wasn't just a king, that he was the king. He still is the king. And God, as we consider our response to this king, may we not be one who is threatened by him, nor one who is apathetic toward him, but God, would you instill in us this heart's desire to be thrilled by his arrival, 
with a posture to worship him. God, we love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.